welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, welcome to episode 85. Hey, Rich. I feel like I haven't spoken to you forever. How you been? Good, good. It's good to be back. I, I had a few crazy busy weeks and last week I was skiing. I saw that. On a personal vacation, but uh, it's awesome to be back in the Office 365 developer podcast. Woo woo. Did you clearly you didn't break anything. I've actually unfortunately had a f- one email from a speaker that was going to be at the, one of the Microsoft Cloud Roadshows that sounds like he did some really big damage on the slopes and um, has had to cancel on two, two events, which is shame and also bad in the notion that he's probably going to be off work for a bit from the sounds of the injuries. You know, I I, I feel like I'm getting older. I, you know, I was a I was a pretty competitive gymnast growing up and a bit of a, a daredevil skier when I was younger, but. As I get older and I get on the slopes, I don't feel like I have quite the uh, daredevil in me. Yeah. And maybe it's the, the fear of something worse happening. I mean, I still skied pretty hardcore, but not like I was, uh, you know, a decade ago. So it was fun. It was good. We went to, me and a couple of buddies went to Jackson Hole and it was a lot of, a lot of fun. The um, Out of the, the three brothers in our family, I'm definitely the one that's the last to kind of jump off the cliff into the water or go down a slope like I've always used my brothers as crash test dummies first and then if they survive then I'll go <laughs> and um and noticing now as they get a little bit older they've started to be a bit more hesitant too but um yeah we all still get out like I'm playing hockey still and I must admit the other week I had a stick come very close to my face and ended up going and purchasing a full visor so I think as you get older you start getting a little bit less reckless and start really thinking about how that might impact the rest of your life Absolutely, absolutely. And then saying that, then I did, uh, we were, went down to Ocean Shores here in Washington and the rainforest, which is the largest rainforest in the whole of the United States. It's about a three and a half hour drive from Seattle and um, boy, it's beautiful down there. It was a good four day break. Had Monday off for President's Day and then I took Friday off, so I had a four day weekend and it was really nice to get away and be in the jungle essentially it was pretty crazy yeah i saw some of the pictures it looked like a, a lot of fun you got to go out and test the truck a little bit too so that's always fun oh yeah the uh the truck got on the beach and we were doing some donuts on the beach which was good fun yeah t- getting it off-road because my brothers were teasing they both have truck have trucks and um my off-road pitch was me just parked on the verge of the grass off the road to take a photo of the truck so i was like okay i need to get this totally off-road so i can actually send a more viable photo cool we've had a a fairly slow week on the ziblogger sphere one of the big ones is from my perspective anyway is that you did a show on ruby yeah with sonia how did that go i haven't had time to watch that in all honesty but it's all 27 minutes of your glorious face that's right well you know that it kind of goes with the same uh theme of the the office dev shows that we've done around getting started so starting with basically a, a empty IDE and building it up to a completed solution by the end. So uh, I've never really touched it ever. And uh, Ruby on Rails to me was just like, I mean, it all had that same kind of, you know, model controller view approach. I, uh, I was laughing the other day. I remember we were talking about our New Year's resolutions about kind of getting on the Angular 2 bandwagon and 
I really want to update our Yeoman generator to support Angular 2, and I just haven't had time, and I haven't even picked up the guitar. So that's uh, two of my New Year's resolutions so far failing, so that's definitely something I've got to try and change, which is probably going to be after build at this stage, based on my workload. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a really good show last week around the clause library, which was the word add-in that I've been showing and getting... I had standing ovations about that sample at one event I went to, which I was like, wow, okay, that's never had that before for a code sample demo. But um, the content team have actually gone and a, actually pushed out a use OAuth authentication in Office add-in kind of guidance document, um, which kind of is in parallel to what we were doing with the clause library, using SignalR to kind of do the auth stuff. And um, so that kind of gives you a good idea about how you can use OAuth kind of calling other services from an Office add-in. And I know your post is probably one of the most popular posts on this as well, right? That's right. And then Simon Yeager has been on the tear again. And this time he's talking about something, honestly, I haven't had even a chance to have a look at, which is the Outlook extensions, which is part of the Microsoft Graph, shipped by the Outlook team. But the intent is that this open type extension entity will be eventually prevalent, not just on messages, events, and contacts, but across the board. The best way to think about it is essentially gives you a way of having additional properties on entities that you get back from the graph, whether it be messages, events, or contacts. And it's similar to, I guess, if you're in the SharePoint world, user profile properties, where you can just kind of add additional ones and give it a data type. And he's done a proof of concept here with C Sharp using JSON.net to kind of do the the class typing on that to add a bunch of an additional um, properties onto onto the entities that he pulls back from the Microsoft Graph. So I think it's a really great way of extending things and storing stuff against events. And I'm sure there's a bunch of products out there that need somewhere to store data and may not want to store the data in their own database and store an event ID mapping and just throw that stuff directly into Office 365 next to that stuff. So I think it's a great way of like not having to risk the uh, worry of syncing your events and, and so forth. And then this one, a blast from the past, David Mann. I've uh, not seen some, you know, he's one of the guys I used to follow when SharePoint kind of was in the in its heydays in 2007 from a dev side. And um, he's picked up, He's been building some training courses for a variety of different training vendors, and he has actually released a Fabric Explorer Chrome extension that essentially allows you to kind of use the document selector in the developer toolbar inside of Chrome, and then there's this new uh, like tab on the developer toolbar, which is the Chrome extension itself, that allows you to go and pick from Fabric CSS and apply it. So you can kind of preview what things look like when you, um, without having to kind of go crazy with editing CSS yourself. So it's a really nice way of seeing how Fabric can impact the look and feel of a, of a website um, directly inside of Chrome. So yeah, so that's been that's cool, and I think the Fabric team when I sent them the YouTube video, and actually Dave emailed them directly with me on the CC was uh, they were like, "Holy smokes, this is amazing! Like this is such a cool thing to have as a way of kind of playing with Fabric." So they've been really excited and jazzed by the community kind of jumping on Fabric and engaging and submitting pull requests and helping with the Docker and like what Andrew is doing with Wardek and a bunch of others on the um, the Angular directives for Fabric as well. So it's been great to see the community really get behind that. 
Well, um, in this show, we do talk about fabric. We actually focus on the Office UI fabric, but Office add-ins, best practices with Jeffrey Dunn and Dean Slauson. So it's a really good show. We're still looking for more partners to chat to about what they've been building. Um, we've got a few weeks blank at the moment, which we will fill. There's always plenty of things we can talk about. And then obviously, as Build turns around, we'll be filling this podcast with all the new bits and pieces we shipped at Build at the end of March, which is coming very, very fast right now. So um, enjoy the show and we'll speak to you all next week okay so i'm here in building 35 with dean and jeffrey thank you for joining the show thank you we wanted to get you on to talk about kind of this aspect of best practices around office add-ins i've been in a lot of meetings with you guys where you've been talking about how we can improve this and kind of communicate that to partners so i thought it'd be a good idea to get you guys on the show to talk about that in more detail so thank you for jumping on dean do you want to just introduce yourself how people would know you externally and what kind of things you've worked on that people would have maybe either worked with or played with or developed on top of? Okay. I've, I've been at Microsoft about 20 years uh, in various program management and general management roles. And so in most of that time, I've been working on Office, different parts of Office. Office for the iPad was one of the uh, recent projects I had worked on and worked on Access, InfoPath, and uh, some Office Online things. So cool. lots of Office. 20 years, huh? Yeah. So you've got the big crystal here somewhere in the There it is. Yeah, it's in that box I haven't opened yet. That was how it was handed to me. That is awesome. So the 10 year, is that the 10 year one? The, uh, the one that you can see, yeah. yes, is 10 years. The one that's casting a shadow on it is 20 years. Wow. <laughs> Just so they don't charge you by the weight for those boxes, huh? Yeah. And how about yourself, Jeffrey? Have you been working in Microsoft long? Yeah, I've been here for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. I've uh, worked on various aspects of Office the whole time. SharePoint for a few years, so some of the original versions of Office Mobile, yeah. uh, the WAC, and, and extensibility now. Cool. So I'm a UX designer. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, Dean, with the modules we've put out on dev.office.com slash training, what was the intention of those three modules about? What was the, some of the things you were hearing from our partners in the feedback channels through kind of our DX organization and direct through the seller dashboard? Well, the reason we put together best practices content is just to help developers kind of get a, an overview of what's working well for, for our partners and, and kind of avoid some of the pitfalls. We've seen add-ins submitted to the store last year where uh, yeah, the add-in idea might have been well-conceived, but maybe just some th- simple things like the first-run experience didn't quite meet the mark, and people you know, might not realize that that's really the add-in for them even after they've downloaded it and not, might not try it or know how to get started. So simple things like that uh, around the user experience and then how you go about marketing the add-in, how you go about improving it, uh, we saw it could make a huge difference in driving the retention and engagement of that add-in, and we just wanted to share those. With and, and Jeffrey, like, we find this with, like, we're measuring a lot of like monthly active usage now on a lot of our own add-ins and apps in general, and like we're learning a lot about what helps to bring users back what are the things you've been seeing with some of the stuff you've been working on around kind of uh, like first run is definitely one example of how we can get that monthly usage up. What, are there other areas that you've seen that have helped? Well, I, I think the, the more you can lead the user into the, the experience with a first run is a, is a good place to start. Yeah. Also just thinking about the entire experience of, you know, how the user comes to know and become aware of your add-in, how the user starts to be engaged in your add-in. Once they're engaged, how can you extend that engagement yeah. through uh, connections with your with a sort of parent service, or how do you make it apparent that this is part of something larger? 
not only within office, but within your service. Right, and then I think, so there's that, th- that notion of getting them through the door and them installing the add-in into the office client, but then there's the keep them with the door open and keep coming back to try it, right. yeah. which is really important. Yeah. And so with some of the guidelines that you have around the design principles, um, there's this common kind of toing and throwing around, well, we want it to look like our service as a you know as a SaaS or a PaaS running out there in the cloud, yep. but there's also this kind of benefit of them looking and feeling like Office as well. Yeah. What are some of the things you've been doing there from a UX side in terms of those guidelines? Well, there's definitely a balance that you want to make that that makes an add-in look like it fits with inside Office. Yeah. And I think we see some sometimes that the that you can that an add-in can lead too heavily with its own branding and compete with Office. Office is a pretty saturated environment, yeah. and the more noise that you're, you're calling towards yourself can actually detract from your experience. And so things like Office UX, Fabric can really yeah. help with that. Fab- Fabric can help. That's one thing that we're doing. It's strong. It's, its intention is for someone that really does not have much of a, a visual language or a, a UX language of its own. I think it's a great thing to leverage to get you going on something, but if you already have a strong brand and a strong service, you should build build for continuity with that service out there. Right, and the first run experience, Dean. You know, there is that first impression, and often when I'm looking for new demos to show in keynotes or conferences, I'll click around the store and try and grab one, and it amazes me sometimes how kind of sometimes it's hard to work out what that add-in does when you just add it and, and try and get handheld through that experience. And so the fabric helps as a the look, making it look professional and um, especially in our case, like making it really nice to demo. But what other things have you seen that improve the first run experience that have, have helped other add-ins in the store? Yeah, actually, even when you're in the store, having good screenshots, right. a good title, a good description, we have a lot of guidelines uh, about that uh, on msdn and dev.office.com so how you present the add-in and what it's for sets the expectation and then the user uh, is going to have their expectation met or exceeded but you've got to get them in then the besides the screenshots once they land on that first page sometimes a video uh, we've seen a video can help drive retention uh, that gives a little overview of the value prop and how to use it some simple step-by-step instructions that just get you started if the if the add-in needs to bind to data, you know what's some sample data. Maybe you, right. get, you can insert some sample data and see what the format is, so the user just knows what to do next. Yeah. So rather than kind of leaving them guessing on having the right data sitting in their document or so forth that the add-in needs to needs to grab, and and so with that first run, there are some kind of guidelines you have from a, a functional or UX perspective that you've kind of put pointed out in this slide deck with in terms of you know design for deep value, the first run experience. The sign experience, um, adding commands, which we'll go into uh, the UX quality and performance. But you know we've kind of covered the design for deep value, and that's that notion of kind of let them feel some kind of value when they first use the add-in, but then start to open them up to additional value as they start kind of coming back to that that add-in. What examples have you seen of that really works in in the current store, where the, the kind of those scenarios that you think are really compelling? Well, there's a, a bunch of things we like that are complementary to Office, and that's, I think, a key thing in thinking about the value prop of an add-in is that it's something an Office user wants to do that Office doesn't do by itself and that lends itself well to being integrated with the experience. So just a few examples would be things like you know, PayPal invoicing. You want to be able to do an invoice, but you want to do it from Excel. 
DocuSign is another one. Being able to sign a document is a very natural thing in the paper world, but it's not a built-in feature of Office, but it integrates, the DocuSign added integrates very nicely with Word and Outlook to let you get a task done. Poll Everywhere is another one. Uh, for PowerPoint, uh, being able to make a presentation, it's often done by people who are doing a sales pitch or educating, and you want to be able to get uh, some interaction with your audience, being able to add a little poll or a quiz right in the, in the PowerPoint, not something that's, that PowerPoint does, but that goes very naturally with, with PowerPoint. And, and all of those scenarios you just mentioned there are like services that stand alone but make a lot of sense to be inside our experience. And I think to your point, Jeffrey, like having that notion of it, the choice between fabric versus their brand and making it so it feels and looks you know, clean inside our experience. And those are great examples where they've done that really, really well, in, in my opinion anyway, of kind of, you know it's their brand, but you also know that it lives and looks nice and responds yeah. nicely inside the client. Yeah. And then in addition to that, all of those cases you mentioned have a sign experience. So they, you're logged into the office client as Jeremy in, in my instance, but you still need to go and all through to Poll Everywhere or to DocuSign um, and so forth. So what kind of standards do we have and guidelines do we have around on that aspect with sign-in? Well, we think you know, sign-in is obviously important, but it can be a friction point. So we think it's important to add some value to give some piece of the experience, a little snack, before you ask people to put the quarter in of signing up. Obviously, we want people using single sign-on where that's implemented. You know, we have capability and outlook that's rolling out more broadly. Um, but anything we can do to lower the friction and to provide some functionality before you have to go through signing up. Um, there's some add-ins where you don't even have to sign up. You know, they authenticate by maybe sending you a message later. There's other things that can be done to simplify that. But just basically give some value um, up front, let people understand what the add-ins are for. Yeah, and there's some great new guidance, I think, believe what published yesterday on MSDN around um, kind of integrating OAuth into Office Office add-ins, and as per the last podcast we did on the cause library, which is using um, Azure AD auth as part of that flow, and you can kind of see how we've done that hookup with the authentication as well. And I know there's some work we'll be announcing around the build timeframes that will improve that even more so with the science. So that's, that, I think it's going to really improve the experience for developers as they move forward there as well. Yeah. And then, I guess, Jeffrey, from a discoverability perspective, the other big one was adding commands. I think we heard loud and clear that having the store or the add-in button that then you had to go and find the add-in to add to your page wasn't great for discoverability. Um, can you talk a little bit about that aspect of adding commands and, and how that plays into building a great Office add-in? Well, I think having having a, a set of commands that extend to Office that are always a vis- always visible to uh, to your end user uh, through the ribbon, it, it just... It, uh, that increase in visibility <laughs> yeah. is going to is going to help no matter what. I mean, it's it's there. They're in the ribbon. You can find the controls. You don't have to open the thing every time. You don't have to insert and open the thing every time you have a file you want to interact with. Yeah, it's it's right there once it's installed. It's going to be interesting to see with regards to the icons that get used for all those adding commands on how if people go heavy on their logo or their brand. Um, or maybe the icon represents the functionality it's doing. I think that balance is going to be pretty tricky to start with until we get a few partners in the store to see see where people go. Yeah, I think um, my hunch is that the most successful ones will be able to, to create a, a visual system that ties together. If they happen to have UI and a task pane, it will very easily align with the logos or the icons that they have in the ribbon. Yeah. If they have content that happens to be in the body of, of, a, of an Excel file, it will also 
uh, mirror and match what's in the task pane. So they can create a visual system within Office that fits together, ties the different pieces together. Yeah, that makes sense. And Dean, I mean, we are in this state where adding commands, like as of right now recording this podcast, exist in the 2016 client, but they might not necessarily uh, exist in Word, Excel, PowerPoint for now. How can developers kind of support where our office clients are catching up with each other and um, not just designing assuming everyone's going to have those ribbon buttons for adding commands? Like, what's the best recommendations we can do there? Well, if you're building an add-in that's going to work in Office 2013, you want the task pane is going to have all the navigation and commanding, and you, but you want to be thinking ahead and have that same add-in also work in 2016 and take advantage of the commands. So it's about modularizing the code so that it can be later separated into uh, commands. Use the inline buttons for the local actions that are directly impacting your content. Um, and then use commands for uh, on the ribbon, you know, for specific actions that you want to invoke overall for that added. Right. So that for, for now, like the task pane should kind of stand alone on its own, and then the buttons are kind of adding almost shortcuts to what can be done via those task panes. Yeah. To kind of give that support across the different platforms. I mean, the intent is that adding commands will exist across all of the platforms the Office client exists in today. Yes. It's just a matter of getting our engineering guys to kind of get those features out there yeah, in the world. Yeah, working on it. Yeah, it's, um, I think this is the world of MVP, right? Like before we had three years and we'd, we'd have everything ready and push the magic button and they'd appear everywhere and now we're kind of letting people into the way that we do things internally. That's right. So don't think that the, you know, the commands are missing on the other platforms. Right. We're actually getting an early preview of the <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think you know it works. The majority of our users are Outlook Win32, and yeah. then Word Excel PowerPoint Win32 is the next natural progression for that, which are available in preview right now if you're on the Pro Plus deployment side of things. So I think that's really useful from that aspect too. And then the other aspect um, was performance, everything you brought up. So what, what do you mean by performance? Like I know like I've seen some add-ins that, you know, they're very, very sophisticated. Like what kind of guidelines do, do we recommend in terms of add-ins? Well, this is also like any, any feature in Office or any website. You know, performance, it's partly in the eye of the beholder. You want the experience of, of performance to be great. And so that means the actual performance and also the perceived performance. So that can include things like when you do have an operation that's running a little longer to have some user feedback, people can see the progress that's being made, but also just the things you would do to optimize your design of a web page in terms of the order in which you load the various components, uh, caching anything you can do to, to distribute that load and to make the, the performance really zippy. And Jeffrey, from that aspect, like what kind of UX cues can people use for things like progress and kind of indications? Like I know Microsoft has been through various different ways that we present performance and uh, we will joke around you know, Microsoft Minutes or Microsoft Percent on Completion. What types of things are we doing in Office from a UX perspective that we'd recommend that the developers do? Well, I think in, in, the, in a task pane in particular, I think you should, should utilize um, the, the message bars that come apart as a part of the platform yeah. to communicate feedback. I, I definitely think this is an area where you'll see us explore more dynamic ways to provide feedback to the user about especially longer running operations. And I think in, in the pipeline are some opportunities to think about dialogues or other messages that may appear. Yeah, yeah. and we talked about the dialogue being something that would be coming um, shortly anyway to help with kind of that cue that you can kind of like modal, but almost it'll be a pop-up window that people can interact with as well that you're, you're adding control. Yeah. 
I think that'll definitely help from that notion of, as Dean you say, like having the ad in load, but at the same time be able to then like bubble things up once they're ready to be shown rather than kind of locking the experience until everything's loading and showing a blank task pane mm -hmm. and then loading everything all at once, which is more of a traditional way of doing things, um, especially on a server-side page model type approach. Mm -hmm. So from the perspective of the functional UX design, I guess, you know, we've gone through those things around kind of design for deep value, the first run, the signing aspects of like handling how you do that properly, leveraging the add-in commands to kind of raise the visibility, discoverability of your add-ins, and the, the general UX quality, leveraging things like uh, office fabric and so forth. And then, you know, making sure you're covering performance in that way. But I think the other aspects of this is that gives you a good kind of first run experience and a good impression with uh, the users. But as you mentioned, Dean, there's a whole other area in terms of the store and getting people to actually click the add in, add your add in button in the store page experience. And there's some great guidance you've got there around kind of your store listing guidance, uh, what marketing you can be doing and like how you can kind of improve your own website, let alone the, the store listings page as well. And that's quite a sophisticated bit of guidance. But what are the key things you've seen from a store listings perspective in terms of like those do's and don'ts that you talk about in the training? Well, the store listing is sometimes the first place that users are going to learn about your add-in. We actually hope you'll have your own website dedicated to the add-in that will even drive them there. Um, but when they get to the store, they have a chance to see the ratings and reviews. Uh, they, get, they see the, the title, the name, the logo, uh, and a description. So it actually requires design. As Jeff was talking about, design isn't just about the added experience, but really thinking about the information that you want to convey there. And having a really good description and title, um, it, it, making it a descriptive name, not just your brand name, can make a huge difference. And, and some of the feedback there, I mean, we've had uh, partners where they've submitted to the seller dashboard with their name of their add-in, and then we've been giving guidance more recently now on, actually, we might make clearer if you do you know, kind of add this additional descriptor text to the title to make it more discoverable, more clear what it is. Is that that's based on customer feedback and our own engineering kind of learnings from our own add-ins? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, we've seen that uh, it's not always obvious. You know, maybe if your brand is famous and only, and only does one thing, you know, yeah. that can work. But in many cases, people, if you, you might even have more than one add-in, so people don't know what your add-in does if you just have the brand. So having something that gives a little context or description makes a big difference on add-ins. Right. And then uh, from the logo tips, obviously, Jeffrey, like, throwing in your your high-level corporate logo is, is useful, but sometimes with add-ins, uh, as you'll see on a phone or in other browsers and so forth, having a, an add-in with its own specific icon can be really useful as an identity perspective, and even from a launching that add-in when you're picking it out from the store. What kind of guidance have you seen there in terms of like sizing guidelines or how complex that logo needs to be? Because it seems like in the store we're preferring very basic, not so detailed logos so they stand out on the store page. Yeah, I think the clearer you can make that icon represent this add-in, the better, the more successful it's going to be. Yeah. I think we see, it's actually kind of fun to make some of these bad examples, using poor contrast, we see lots of use of gradients and, yeah. and using multiple different shapes at different size ratios inside the icon. It just gets all too complex and you have to think that you've got seconds for, <laughs> or less right. than se seconds for someone to recognize what this is. So the more you can make it a clear, recognizable shape and leverage something they already know, the, be the better off this, this logo is going to be. 
Yeah, and, and that comes down to Dean and also that, that notion of the screenshots too, right? The uh, that aspect of you know showing the screenshot exactly what the add-in does rather than like this full view of the office client and your actual add-in is very, very small. Yeah. What, what are some of the things you can do there to really help those screenshots pop on the store page? Well, the screenshots are telling a story about your add-in and sometimes you need more than one frame to tell the story, more than one screenshot if there's enough functionality there to justify that, making it clear what what the thing is doing. Uh, so the screenshot, if it just has a lot of white space and you know one button, maybe maybe your screen, maybe your design of your UI needs a little right. uh, tweaking there. But you want to make sure that within those first few um, uh, moments of looking at that picture, it's clear what does this thing do? What is it going to do for me? What job? What job should I hire this add-in to do for me? Yeah, and I think the use of the callouts, which I've seen more prevalently now in the Apple Store and the Android stores, really helps people to point into exactly what the add-in does to the point they don't even have to read the description text of the store page. They can kind of just see it visually from that one screenshot. Yeah, callouts can be a great assist if the UI is not uh, clearly communicating that by itself. Now, one of the things we do with the store uh, in the way that we rank the listings right now is, is by ratings. And there's... Not so many ratings as we'd like in a lot of the store store add-ins. What kind of things can we do to help those store add-ins get more ratings, and what's the guidance we provide there for that? Yeah. And I know, I know engineering is doing some things to make the rating mechanism even more discoverable, but you know, as an add-in developer, uh, you actually want to ask for ratings, and you want to ask for feedback. And, and especially if a user is having trouble, you want to get the feedback first, you know, before they give you a one-star rating if you can. But give uh, give people a little bit of encouragement. You don't want to you know annoy them right right away and ask for ratings. Give them a chance to see what the add-in is, and uh, you know if they're registered, send them an email or have some UI that invites them to give a rating um, and just encourages that. Right, and some of the feedback we've had from partners is well, we didn't realize that we could collect user information, and we assumed that Microsoft would provide it. But we, we've been very, I feel we've been very clear. But it's worth reiterating. In terms of the registration inside that task pane, you know they can go and get people to sign up once they've downloaded the add-in um, themselves and have whatever mechanisms they like. For instance, it could be a free add-in, but then they handle the licensing in their area and they can handle capturing user data as long as the privacy statements they provide in the seller dashboard and what is available in the store page declares what they're going to do with that data. That's correct, right? Yeah, if you're providing value to your users, they're going to want to have a conversation with you. They're going to want to have a relationship with you. And you've got to follow all the privacy guidelines and all that, but just a simple invitation uh, will often get uh, a good list that's useful for follow-up marketing. It's useful for customer engagement. It's just good good connection with your customer. The nice part about signing up for the dev program on devdeveloppers.com was we actually provide a free year subscription to Drip, which is a great way to kind of do this in-app marketing where you can follow someone um, that's signed up, and then if they're using certain sections of the add-in, uh, maybe, and they're not using others, we can they can kind of contact them through Drip. And, and the way it works is Drip has this API that um, essentially your add-in lets know when that user is using certain functionality or, or not in, in, in some cases. And so that really helps with kind of engaging those users with those, with those m missing features. Is there any UX ways that you've seen as successful in highlighting to users like areas that maybe can call out to someone that you know you haven't used this particular section of the add-in or maybe to try and guide them through like this is the most obvious path in a in a in an add-in like a task pane add-in. Well, I think we see a flavor of the getting started experience, which which sort of indicates the steps that you need to take 
uh, in order to use this add-in to its, to get the most value out of this add-in. Yeah. Step one, do this. Step two, do that. Um, I think uh, there are opportunities to do sort of in add-in teaching, call-outs that happen on, on, on top of things. Uh, you can look for opportunities to trigger those, those call-outs based on usage, where what's been used, what hasn't been used. Yeah. I think those are all interesting ideas to, to yeah. explore. Yeah, I think it's areas that we're learning on now, and this buzzword of telemetry is driving me insane, but the reality is that yeah. that's how we're doing a lot of our learning now in, in office generally. And so I think as we learn, we'll share more and more of that with our partners that are building inside of the store as well. Yeah, I think the one thing you need to be, I think you need to be aware of is that office is a pretty saturated environment. Yeah. And just in terms of static commanding, but the more that you start to pop up information in front of the user, the more likely they're going to ignore all of the messages that come up in Office. Right, right. So you just have, you have to find the right balance. Of that that how mindful to, balance yeah. of when to talk to them or when not to. Yeah. And it could be that some of your communication happens outside of the app. I know uh, the Find Time add-in is an example where your engagement into the app, really, it happens in mail, but it's not when you're using it. You know, like you get follow-up mails about how to use this thing, or right. how to better improve your usage of Find Time. Yeah, and actually, Find Time's a great example I've been using most recently. I was just in an EBC this morning where uh, I was showing that, and a lot of people weren't aware that it was it was there. And I'm like, wow, this is a great add-in for me to book meetings externally with people. I think Find Time is another one where they have findtime.com, sorry, findtime.microsoft.com with their own kind of landing page off the store, uh, which is a great video there. What what tips, Dean, would you say from a video perspective uh, we should look out for and guide people on in terms of, you know, like building that video like lengthwise and, and so forth around that? Well, shorter is better. You know, you, you want a lot of information to communicate in a short amount of time because people's attention spans are limited. The Find Time guys have done a great job of building deep instrumentation to find out what's working, whether it's yeah. on the video or, or the add-in itself. I think they've, they've done more instrumentation than features, and they're using data continually uh, to, to refine and improve those experiences. Yeah, often the most simple add-ins are the ones that are the most heavily used because they aren't as complex and they're easier to kind of grasp and get onto. And they've been taking a lot of feedback as well through their own user voice site too, which I think is another thing that anyone that's in the store should consider as well as a, as a mechanism for taking feedback off their users. Yeah, I mean, a telemetry and direct user comments are going to be a, give you a combined picture that's bigger than either one could do by itself. And then I, I guess the other aspect, once you've kind of, you're monitoring things and you're using user voice to kind of capture that feedback, is um, how you can get into this rhythm of producing updates that will either make customers feel like they're getting value, but also kind of almost prod them to go, you, you have this add-in. What types of things have we seen successful there in, in the update cycles? Well, when we look at retention and what drives retention, one of the most significant factors that we see in the data is developers who are making frequent updates are getting better retention. Shouldn't be too surprising, but actually taking that feedback and stepping back and looking at what can we improve in the funnel, what can we improve in the user journey, where do we see people dropping off, um, there's also you know, monitoring performance and reliability, and is there anything that needs to be improved there? And then pushing those updates out. Obviously, if you have you know, security kinds of things, you've got to push the update out immediately. Yeah. Um, but just having that regular rhythm and really whoever has that velocity and gets that going is going to pull out way ahead of the pack. Yeah, I know in the guidance videos you talk a lot about kind of A-B testing and this notion of trying things out with a subset of the, the users. 
What kind of A-B testing approaches have you seen work, Jeffrey, in that aspect from a UX side? Is there is there any kind of particular things we've seen in the UX of the office client all up? Or? Well, I think there's some great, <clears throat> great examples of testing various icons or various uh, uh, names of some some commands inside the ribbon that have given given us a great uh, view of what works and what doesn't. And we all have assumptions about what what would improve a particular experience. But when you get down to A/B testing, it, it, there's no better result than to see see something work that you didn't didn't expect to work. Right, and it, you've got to be quite strict with the A/B testing to really prove that point. Uh, and there's some great kind of books and so forth out there on A-B testing, which we'll make sure we add into the show notes because I know internally engineering, we, we've got specific ways that we've been doing that to be kind of only one test at a time and, and so forth. And I think uh, we're doing them at the moment on devdonoffice.com in a variety of places as a website, seeing what works and what doesn't. I think, you know, from a product perspective inside task pane and so forth, that's also really uh, impactful too. So introducing a, an, a, an adding command in the ribbon um, to an existing task pane, um, there could, there's a variety of things you could do to, you know, hide that content on the task pane and see whether people discover the the adding command in the ribbon as a way of proving whether that's going to be a replacement or whether you need both inside the task pane and in the ribbon, kind of moving forward. Yeah, it requires a mindset of having hypotheses about what might work instead of being sure, um, and then yeah. being willing to really test those out. And sometimes the data surprise us. Yeah, yeah, they're often running with your gut rather than kind of looking at the data can be a a very kind of di- different set of results. So kind of wrapping this up, Dean, what, what's the best ways for people who are w- really wanting to improve their add-in or they're working on adding now and want to kind of move forward with this? What, what are the best resources that are out there to kind of help them other than listening to this podcast? Well, we've got a bunch of material on uh, dev.office.com, WAC training, some slide decks and, and some video recorded content there, and then the content on uh, MSDN, which we're also surfacing on, on dev.microsoft.com. Take a look at uh, functional UX best practices content, uh, guidelines on, on selling and marketing, and guidelines on placing things in the store. Uh, we'll put the titles out here so that people can find them somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then there's some solid kind of checklists and so forth that we've put together based on like the journey we've been on with all the people going for the seller dashboard. And so I think it really helps now that we have that guidance that you know, we couldn't have traditionally had anyway because it, we were only just integrating people into store two years ago. So I think now we have that guidance that will really help people to have successful apps, add-ins out of the gate um, inside that store experience. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your guys' time. I know you're all busy kind of jumping now for the build kind of timeframes I think we're doing, so um, I won't keep you any longer. But um, I appreciate what you're doing, and, um, and if people have got questions back around this kind of the GTM marketing side of the house or even from the UX perspective, I'm sure these guys would love your questions, and you can get us on uh, the Yammer group that's in the blog post notes or on Twitter um, with the Office 365 Dev hashtag. So a big thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.